Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hello and welcome to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. We're your hosts, Dimitri and Etienne, and today we're super happy to have on the show Paolo and Walter from Preta Terra. Preta Terra is a consulting company that specializes in agroforestry systems. They're based in Brazil, but they operate around the world. And today they're going to tell us a bit about how they operate and what they do. This is a bit of a shorter interview um, than usual because they are extremely busy at the moment, which is very good news for agroforestry. And um, this is the amount of time that we managed to have from them. But we hope that um, we're going to be able to interview them again later or in the future in order to go into more depth um, on the many issues and, and the many topics that we just started touching upon today. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Walter and Paula. Welcome on the podcast. Hello, guys, Etienne and Dimitri. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, it's very good to be here with both of you. We'd love to have um, a quick introduction of yourselves and also, you know, for you to tell us a bit about what Preta Terra does. So maybe I could start? Yeah, please. Okay, my name is Paula. I am a Brazilian and, uh, well, I'm a forest engineer and a biologist as well. So I started my uh, my work with forest restoration, degraded land uh, reforestation. And afterwards, I understood the importance of bringing people uh, together to the forest landscapes. So I started to work with, uh, I started working with uh, biodiverse production systems. That's why uh, I invested all my career, most of my career, with two agroforestry systems. So I started working with smallholder farmers and um, remote communities and indigenous people, especially in the Amazon, in many contexts in the Amazon, uh, close to NGOs. And, well, after a few years of experience with smallholder farmers and understanding the the operational part of agroforestry in a small scale, I had the challenge to apply this to a large scale. And that's exactly where I met Walter, uh, where we work together in Fazenda da Toca, which is a very important uh, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship here in Brazil, uh, to, where we applied our knowledge to expand agroforestry and systematize it, our, our knowledge to a large scale. And that was the, the challenge we had at that time, to apply the knowledge to a large scale. I introduce myself. My name is Walter, Walter Ziantoni. I'm the partner of Paula uh, and the foundation of Preta Terra. And, uh, well, I'm a forest engineer as well, as she is. Uh, I also hold a master on agroforestry, an MSc on agroforestry from Bangor University in the UK, 
and I I have several years of experience. Uh, I mean, more than 15 years working with agroforestry now, um, all over the world, basically. After my my master's, I I worked a couple of years in Africa, in Zambia, Mozambique, South Africa, and Kenya, and then in Southeast Asia for UNDP. Um, in, in Turkey for FIO and several other um, NGOs and companies and initiatives, especially in the Brazilian Amazon, where I have, together with Paula, also more than six years of experience uh, in the Brazilian and Peruvian Amazon. And since the beginning of my career, I always I was always passionate by people and uh, forest-dependent people livelihoods. So my specialization is basically on local knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. or, or better saying, uh, the acquirement of the local knowledge vision of how people interpret their environments and why they choose these species instead of those or everything else that is uh, the decision uh, made by farmers in the field. Mm-hmm. So from this perspective, we believe the projects can be developed, the ideas, the designs, and they will rely in time. They will be they will uh, be more resilient uh, facing climate change and other challenges, including market uh, fluctuations and everything else that is are challenges for farmers yeah. in the field. And as Paula mentioned, we met uh, working and leading the RD section of Fazenda da Toca, this large um, enterprise uh, carried by uh, Pedro Paulo Diniz, who was an entrepreneur who started uh, the biggest agroforestry uh, um, challenge in, in the world, probably by the time. And we were uh, hired to be the, the leaders of the RD section, the research and development section of this uh, company. And uh, we worked there for um, around two years. Uh, and there we learned, uh, we brought a lot from our experience and background, but we also learned uh, which challenges we were about to face. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to found Preta Terra and bring all this knowledge and capability of creating replicable systems to the world. Yeah, so we merged all the, all the experience we had in the operational part, in the uh, local knowledge acquisition part, in designing and economically modeling, economical modeling, uh, to uh, put it all in Preta Terra. What Preta Terra does now, what we work with now, is uh, mainly designing complex production systems, and especially agroforestry systems. Of course, we always focus on putting trees in the landscape, but the idea is to design, to systematize, to plan properly the production systems. Because the problem we have so far is, well, of course, everybody knows the monocropping is uh, depleting soil, and what we need is regenerative production systems. But a very... uh, strong challenge we face to to do this transition is this systematization this the systematization itself the planning itself because when we have a complex production system farmers have a hard time to understand where to start which species to manage which is going to be the fertilizer 
how are they supposed to prune each new species and everything. So it is a complex system. So we need to systematize, we need to plan, we need to have a proper um, operational chronogram. So that's pretty much what we do. And especially the financial modeling. Uh, uh, yeah, well, complementing, uh, I think the core of Preta Terra is bringing uh, ancestral knowledge So all the knowledge that comes uh, empirically from farmers all around the world and put it together with technology. Mm -hmm. So that's the main approach. And I would say that's the core of our initiative. And for four years now, we have been working, systematizing empirical knowledge and put that into um, uh, economical modeling and, and process that's enable farmers to replicate this process anywhere in the world. And um, part of our methodology um, applies, applies or relies, part of our methodology relies on modularity, replicability, and elasticity. We bring those concepts to farmers, true farmers. I think that's very important to say because what we do, uh, what we try to master since the very beginning of our initiative is to see from the farmer's point of view. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing. If you see and if you understand what are the challenges and what farmers are expecting, we are able to design something that will be acceptable and that will be successful in time. And when I say successful, not only resilient uh, environmentally, but also economically, because we we face a lot of uh, challenges regarding uh, marketing, market prices, when you produce commodities. So you're looking for premium prices. You're looking for nutrient density. You're looking for a better way to manage soil. And when we use the replicability uh, model uh, using modularity and using another uh, methodology we have that we call a functional niche that is putting species into um a kind of, uh, of of systematization. So they they are um, uh, so each species is selected and grouped in in different niches. It allows us to replicate systems that we have developed from Brazil for Brazil, for example, to any other place in the world. So making changes and change every species as it was a piece in a in a chess board, for example. So each species corresponded to a niche with specific functions and specific uh, demands management. and management and everything else with a specific market. So we can uh, we can apply the same logics whenever uh, we are, whenever we have a new project in a new biome or new region. I think what would be useful is if you could maybe uh, continue explaining this by using a few examples of projects you are working on currently or that you've worked on in the past. We have a project in the Amazon. We established, we started working in 2018 there, um, especially focusing with, the, uh, with cassava because uh, that was the livelihood base. Uh, all farmers plant cassava there. So in any design we have, we are not going to bring a, a complete different logic. The idea is that it's adherent and makes sense for them. So we 
We kept the cassava, of course, in the design, pretty much in the same way that they were used to. The only difference is that uh, we wouldn't uh, do the slash and burn as they are used to do. We just did the slash and mulch uh, technique, which is uh, when we manage the biomass of the secondary forest and put organize all the biomass in the ground and plant over it. We don't burn it as they are used to do. And so the design we uh, carried out and planted with the farmers, uh, we, we designed uh, lines of trees every 10 meters in between the cassava plantation. And every 10 meters we have in this line, we have a large cycle uh, uh, high-value timber tree. And this is what we call the niche. That's the the interesting part. We didn't mention a species. We just mentioned uh, the niche. So it's a timber tree or a non-timber tree. And we have a few species that we can uh, put inside according to what the farmer wants or what they don't want. So, for instance, they could uh, plant the, the Brazil nut, for instance, or other timber or andiroba, which produces the oil or the rosewood also. So they had this list of species, like 10 species, native species of high value that they could allocate. If they only wanted the Brazil nut, they could do only the Brazil nut. But if they want to diversify, they could as well. And so we have the design that every 10 meters, we have the, the long cycle timber tree and in the line, it occurs every 10 meters. And then in, uh, along the line, in between trees, we have three uh, fruit species as well. And it's the same logic. They could choose which fruit species they want. So they could choose acai, they could choose uh, graviola, they could choose uh, the acerola. anona, acerola. So many species that were native for them, that they knew, that they know how to manage, that they had the market, they could choose and put in this functional niche of simply fruits every two and a half meters uh, in between these long timber trees, long cycle timber trees. And finally, in between these lines of 10 meters, every five meters, we have a line of bananas every five meters and a mix of seeds of service species that we call it. We call service species the one that grows fast, produce biomass, and can be pruned very frequent, frequently so that we can boost the nutrient cycling. And then in the first years, like two, three years, we just manage intensively these trees and they will be planted by seed so that uh, you don't spend much money on buying seedlings and so forth. And the idea is that these species produce a lot of biomass to cover the soil and to produce, uh, to boost the nutrient cycling process. Yeah, I think uh, this this project is very emblematic because you worked in 22 unities uh, scattered around uh, around a place in the Amazon that was very difficult to to reach. So you, we use the boats um, most of the time. Um, uh, the truck has to be carried uh, in a uh, in a boat. Uh, so there are so many little stories that would be nice to mm -hmm. 
to present a good time to make it less boring of talking just about the the system itself because there's so much to be said about this project that yeah. makes it beautiful and inclusive we have yeah. a youtube channel and with a few videos of the the implementation process with the farmers uh, showing the species showing uh the adventure it was Yeah, you can you can really yeah, that's perfect project mm -hmm. on YouTube. I uh, I think um, uh, what I could say about this project uh, is that um, what you used is maintaining the the business as usual of the farmers in the region, but applying a layer of agroforestry system mm -hmm. without changing the livelihood, not not changing in, uh, intrinsically, but changing in time. So what we did was implementing those lines every 10 meters, uh, the, the service trees, but not changing the first years of production using cassava as they always did. So this was maintained the same. So we didn't have this, this shock that could, that could, um, that could end up um, uh, making problems for the project acceptance. And that was very good. And uh, basically, that was the, the biggest difference. And, and one more thing is that we used everything uh, that was nearby. So all, all the inputs was found uh, by the farmers, or if not produced by the farmers, by or not produced, if it was not produced by them, was uh, acquired really nearby. So it's completely sustainable. You didn't bring anything from far away. Uh, and it made it possible, including, of course, the, the help from the farmers working in work groups uh, to make it for the price of one tenth of the normal price of um, one hectare of agroforestry system in, in the region. So that's a project that we like to talk about, but there are several others. But I would like to mention a special one that we are working with. We call that Pasto Vivo, like a, a live pasture land. Uh, but the name is in Portuguese, Pasto Vivo, is the, um, um, it's carried out by a group of investors, basically, uh, involving Meraki, Impact Investments, and Luxor Group, and Progresso uh, Family Office. And we are, uh, we are finalizing the design after all the, the, um, the acquirement of information in the field. We are finalizing the design and the economical modeling right now. In the very mm -hmm. moment you are speaking to you now, mm -hmm. and it will start in a 1,200 hectares of cattle ranching, and it's supposed to be um, to be scaled for 23,000 hectares in the in the next years, mm -hmm. and we wow. will be implementing this land, this this plots, uh, the 1,200 in the next months. Mm -hmm. Now, still this year, if everything goes well with the rain pattern. And that's a project that uh, is basically cattle ranching uh, in 30 meters um, intercrop lines uh, of, of grass uh, in, a, in a sustainable improved pasture land where you use also cajanus and titonia to improve the, the cattle fodder. And the trees, we, we are using um, uh, cashew nut. With a Brazilian native timber um, called uh, um, Arueira, and also a Macaúba palm tree that produces essential oil, and uh, of course those trees can be changed, and the nuts can be changed, and also Baru, which and is another Baru. 
uh, native uh, nut. Yeah, it's a very important and pricing one. And uh, of course, it's the same logic, so you not repeat the part of the ecological niche or functional niche, but they can change. So the, not necessarily we have to maintain the cashew nut, but we are using the cashew also for the cattle... Um, um, for fodder, right? Uh, for for the, yeah. the fruits. The fruits but, are used for the cattle as well. So that you can understand what uh, the elasticity of this design is. For instance, we have the Baru tree, which is um, a nut native from the Cerrado biome. And it's very much appreciated uh, in the last years in the market. But if they choose, they can change the Baru for Carité, for instance. It's another, uh, which is the name of Carité? Shea butter. Yeah. Shea butter. They can exchange the Baru tree for Shea butter tree. And that's an, an interesting opportunity in the market. So if you find an opportunity in the market for a few years from now to sell the Shea butter tree, to sell this, the Shea butter, you can, do, you can choose to plant it instead of the Baru. Or along with the Baru, you can in, intercalate it in the system. And for instance, the cashew nut, if you want to change it, you can put macadamia in, in its place. So that in one line you have the cashew nut, in the other line you have the macadamia. So you can have a biodiverse production system. It will depend on the market. It will depend on the availability of seeds and seedlings at the time that you're going to plant. It will depend also if the farmer is interested in that, if they have the know-how developed and the knowledge to manage these species. But uh, step by step, every new plot that they will implement, they can add a new layer of complexity. So the first one will be complex, but not that much. Let's do uh, that. Let's try to simplify and choose uh, species that we already know, we already understand and perfect. So we implemented 10 hectares that it's a little bit easier so that we can learn the management. And then the next 10 hectares, we can add more complexity. Next hectares, a little bit more so that we can have the time also to find the market for each species. So that that's the logic that we call the elasticity of the system. Yeah, it's very well explained. Uh, I just want to add that that's not an uh, intrinsic agroforestry system. Again, mm -hmm. it, it, it's kept being a normal system, but with regenerative approach, mm -hmm. mainly regarding the soil practices. So all the, the intercropping lines, the 30 meters before the cattle coming, or I mean, like for the three or four first years where the trees are still growing, the, 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 the lines of trees, we are having maize and soybeans being planted but in a more regenerative way and using green manure to soil covering during this time to aggregate more uh, biomass to the soil. So you have uh, exactly the same farm producing maize, producing corn, uh, producing soy. Soy, soybean, but at the same time, the trees are growing and you can expect much more income in the future from the trees. And as soon as the cattle comes, all the, the animal welfare is, is absolutely covered by the shade and, um, and the better environment provided by those trees. Uh, furthermore, you have all the income from the non-timber forest products 
and the fodder to the cattle. And what's nice about this design is that we have cash flow since the first year. So as long as soon as we plant the trees, we plant uh, the maize as well in this uh, 30 meter row in between them. And as soon as we harvest the maize, harvest the maize we can we plant uh, the green manure. Then in the next year, we'll plant the soybeans, we harvest the soybeans. So the soil is never uh, left bare. It's always with a live covering. And then in the fourth year, when we plant the next uh, maize harvest, we plant also the grass with it. So as soon as you harvest the grass, the, the corn, the maize, you have the grass established. And then in between this grass, we diversify with other kinds of fodder, uh, like uh, bush kinds of fodder, like the cajano and, and the titonia, which are two species that are very, very interesting for uh, not only for soil improvement, but also for uh, fodder diversification, for especially in the dry season. Yeah, and uh, basically are just grasping the complexity of those systems and how we can go deep into the economical modeling and uh, indicators uh, of the system and the expectations and prognosis we are um, trying to design beforehand to understand what will be the management and uh, which will be the the impact in the and the environment. And for that, we are also calculating or having a methodology to, to imply which will be ecosystem services that will arise from such a system. And uh, that is just a little bit of um, what uh, we can say about our methodology. But regarding um, the, the amplitude of our projects, we are starting now a more social project um, in the... Um, in the Atlantic rainforest of Brazil, uh, nearby where we have our farm, our Preta Terra farm, uh, that's like uh, 400 kilometers from Sao Paulo capital, Sao Paulo city, uh, in the Sao Paulo state, state, but in a very remote area, super remote with uh, familiar agriculture and, and smallholder farmers. And we are right now, this very December, we are starting a project uh, funded by um, UBS Optimus Foundation uh, from UBS Bank. Uh, and they are financing um, the implementation of 100 hectares. And you are involved, involving 30 farmers, 30 families. And we are taking uh, agroforest uh, forest plantations. I'm sorry. I say again, <laughs> we are taking coffee plantations that are monoculture so far, and you are applying this layer of agroforestry. So basically, mostly it will be uh, coffee plantations that are being converted to agroforestry. But we are also working with um, restoration of degraded lands, especially on spring waters. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to, to get into and to understand a bit better uh, you know, digging into a, a few of the things that you talked about now with, with especially the, the, the project in the Amazon and, and then in um, um, Pasto Vivo, if I remember the name uh, correctly. Um, you know, we're curious to know how, you know, when you're including all these extra um, tree species and especially at such a scale, for example, with the second project you, you described, um, it's going to incur a lot of management costs, you know, and especially with the support or the service species, as you call them, We'd be really curious to know how you, 
you know, what's the economics behind that? How do you, how do you make that, um, make um, those species and make that extra complexity valuable economically? That's a good question. Well, uh, first of all, uh, each project is a new project. So the one we implemented in the Amazon, it's a little bit more complex and relies more on management of the trees, especially because we are dealing with smallholder farmers that they have a workforce available. They have their family available to work. Okay. Mm. Uh, however, in this specific project, uh, Pasto Vivo, which is uh, in Mato Grosso State here in Brazil, in the, in the Cerrado region. Um, this project, well, since it's large scale, we cannot rely on much of management on, on labor. So uh, what we do to plan the labor and the, especially the costs of the labor, uh, we need to plan ahead, to understand ahead for, for each, each species which are going to be the management process. So, for instance, we know that we have the baru tree and the baru produces the cashew, the, the nuts, once, uh, once a year. Okay, so we uh, plan all the management involved in these specific species. So, for instance, we know that in the first year, three months after we plant it, we need to do a first pruning process. So okay. do the first pruning process in the first year, and then every two years we do a new uh, formation pruning that we call so, uh, right after uh, the harvesting process. And so we understand, okay, how much, and this is another uh, very important aspect of the financial modeling, is that you need to do it by module. That's why we call our systems modular. Because you either do it by hectare or by area, by a, a unit of area, or you do it by species, by tree or by plant. So, for instance, for one baru, I know that for uh, doing this formation pruning, I will take uh, 30 seconds. And so I can extrapolate that for the entire hectare. I know that I'm going to plant, for instance, I'm not really sure. I think 88, right? 88 trees of baru yeah. in one hectare. And so if I take 30 seconds to prune each one for this formation pruning, this first year pruning, I will know how many minutes or how many hours I will take to manage the entire hectare. And I know how much it costs for the farmer to pay for one hour or for one day of labor of one specialized person in pruning. So if you're going to pay, for, for instance, 100 reais, which is the currency there, 100 reais for one day of labor of eight hours, I will know how many, um, how many trees this person will prune in one day. And then I will know how much this pruning will cost, right, for each tree. So the idea is that uh, for every operation I have, and it's we're talking about a very large uh, chronogram with a very large number of operations, of course, because it is a complex system, uh, for each and every operation, I will know how much it will cost by tree, per tree, and per hectare. And in the end, I will know which is going to be the price, the, the least price that I have to, to sell this product 
so that it is viable in the future. So if I do all this process and I understand how much will the management of the of the baru cost and it doesn't cover the price that it's paying today in the market, I have to change my design. I either have to rethink about the management or I have to do it more Uh, the operation better. I have to improve my operation, maybe mechanize it, or I have to reduce the number of trees per hectare, or I have to uh, look for a better price in the market. You know, so the idea is not what is a um, a viable system, a viable production system. Your uh, the selling price, the price you you the market will pay for you have got to cover your costs and have got to give you some. Uh, some some profit on it, so you have to understand all the costs so that you know how to, how much you're going to sell it for, and this is a very uh, profound study that you have to do in each design so that you can say okay this design is viable only if you sell the kilo of the nut of baru per for I don't know how many reais you know so so that you can. Uh, make the have the decision making based on on the financial modeling. What's fascinating here is that um, on 1,500 hectares, or I can't remember exactly, you've managed to work out that including trees 30 minutes uh, 30 meters apart, covering this whole area is profitable based on your current assumptions. Is that correct? Uh, that's more than correct, and that allows us to complement the answer uh, Paula has given so uh, broadly. Um, in fact, when you have those other products there, it will be much more profitable. And you're not talking about the uh, the profitability of a premium price because it's a regenerative, organic, or um, Uh, or any any other thing, or fair trade, or any other stamp that you have welfare. on your pro product or welfare. But we, what you're talking about is that the the baru nut or the cashew nut it can compete with the cattle in price. So you are div diversifying mm. and having more income. That's the idea. So yes, the the answer is yes. I just uh, I just think it's important to complement that you have environmental services, um, um, ecosystem services being produced by such a system that will guarantee the resilience of your enterprise because your soil is the most important uh, asset you have, and if you don't save, conserve, promote or keep your soil fertile, you lose income in time. So that's the first idea. So you have to understand this, and that's why you're applying agroforestry system. But that's not enough, not in time. So of course, our we, we have embraced this challenge to ourselves as Protaterra to make biodiversity profitable and scalable. And that's what you are trying to do and what you have been doing for over four years as Pretaterra and what you are doing now in this Pasto Vivo project that is actually 1,200 hectares, uh, this first plot, okay. and, and all the other projects. And I'm wondering, in that challenge that you've taken, what role has mechanization? Because to explain, um, one of the problems we are confronted in in Mazi Farm is the more we complexify systems, the harder it is to mechanize them in some cases. And I'm wondering, um, have you invested 
time and research in mechanizing these systems and um, innovating in that domain? And how, how is that going for you? Um, a very good point. That's a domain that is uh, one of the main challenges of agroforestry that is developing uh, developing technology and machinery that's not um, only for agriculture nor uh, for forestry or silviculture, but for agroforestry. And that's what we have to, to develop together. And uh, yes, in this project, there is a, a lot of um, mechanization there because that's a large farm. And that, this is a group of investors that are uh, putting the upfront money to make it to happen. So you, we can use mechanization and there was mechanization available. But what, where our intelligence or our agroforestry intelligence comes in place is at the, at the moment where we choose the trees and the crops accordingly to what we already have in hands. And we consider tree architecture and succession and strata to understand what would be the best mechanization. And so in that, in that very uh, example you mentioned, uh, there is a lot of mechanization. But if we come back to our first example in, the, um, in our talk today, where we talked about the Amazon, um, the Amazon example, there we have basically zero mechanization. Let's say that you have a chainsaw sometimes, or and only chainsaws, <laughs> but nothing else. So everything you the earth auger, uh, the, the earth. earth auger. There's uh, this drill to make the holes motorized. Yeah, and and sometimes not always, but yeah, that was basically all the mechanization. Uh, so depends depends where we are. Mechanization is always good, but depending on the the special price you have or how steep is your land or how precise is the management of your system. Uh, it's not really necessary, but definitely it's a challenge and you have to address mechanization and prepare modular equipments, not huge equipments, but think about what we already have and can be adapted to work properly on agroforestry. So, yeah. so for you, it's, it's going through developing uh, specific tools or is it also that you're working at a scale where you have such a huge amount of land that these farms can afford to have uh, many different machines? Because to put things in context, one of the problems we often realize is when you're trying to have a very diversified operation on a small scale, it's then very hard because if you had to have all the machines that it takes to produce and process this diversity, it's very hard to be economically viable. But what's interesting in what you're doing is that you're working on thousands of hectares. So maybe that problem doesn't occur so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we mentioned two projects that are very much uh, each one in the extreme, right? One that is uh, yeah. without any mechanization and the other one is super mechanized. Actually, uh, the size of the the rows is defined by the the size of the machines of the tractor um, the operations that we defined are are defined by the uh, implements that we have available in the in the farm so for instance one very import, important operation that we have in agroforestry is soil covering and especially covering in the in the lines along the lines so, uh, and this is a challenge that people are facing everywhere. So how do you organize the soil covering and not do it by hand, right? Just with a, with a rake, 
this is super inefficient. And so actually uh, in Fazenda da Toca, in, in Toca Farm where you used to work, uh, we used to plant the, the green manure and to mow the green manure mechanically with the tractor and then use mm -hmm. an implement called uh, rotary rake. So, so it's, rotary it's rake. like a rake, but it rotates so that it throws all the biomass into a line. It was very efficient, but the problem is that this is a very specific uh, implement. Not everybody have it available. Mm -hmm. So in this in this farm, they have had available another, um, like a like a truck, right, with with a dispenser of biomass, and mm -hmm. then this truck. Walk, uh, right, goes uh, along the line and in, leaves the biomass along the line. So they already had this available because they used it um, a long time ago when they used to to have uh, they they used to feed the the animals. Uh, so this is like a distributor of forage. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, forage wagon. That's the name of this. Okay. So that's what we are using. So the idea is that you need to understand your operations. You need to understand what you're looking for, what is the result you need in the field, and you need to understand the machineries you already have available so you will adapt. So eventually you find a, a way to solve it. But I think that Walter mentioned one of the most important point of views that we need to have for uh, mechanization, which is using... Uh, modular uh, machines. So not really, not only machines, but for instance, the earth auger, it's a very simple machine and you use it with a lot of, uh, it's improved so much the the work. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think just to close this topic, uh, no, not closing, but just to emphasize one point, there are, uh, uh, there are projects that you don't use any machinery, others that you use everything that's available, like the, uh, the wagon distributor. But mm -hmm. there are places like this 100 hectares project from UBS that definitely we are having a tractor in every plot. Uh, we have a brush cutter uh, to, 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 cut, to cut all the biomass, especially f uh, the grass, but also the, the pruning uh, material or the biomass, the branches that are generated from the pruning. And that will be necessary. And since the 100 hectares are close by, this will be available. So in this, in this sense, you have this tractor to work uh, within the coffee uh, in, in the intercropping. Mm -hmm. But there are others that we cannot but the main thing is try to adapt to what you already have mm -hmm. and try to be and try to be modular that's mm -hmm. what you are trying to do see what exists in europe in the united states or even in china and what you can do with this like adapting machinery that are maybe used for another um, system or another uh, mm -hmm. kind of uh, production but you can uh, adjust for our tropical purposes here mm -hmm. so that's what you have been trying to do something that i'm very curious about is are there any machines that you use to prune the trees is that uh, what what mechanization for tree pruning and tree management do you have you included yeah. um, in your in your modeling? Well, for this one specific for tree pruning, uh, we need to use the basics. Actually, we we okay. use the, the scissors, we use the the saw, uh, saw. Yeah. We no, use saw. the saw, 
And well, of course, we have a, a, a motorized saw, but it's not interesting to use actually. You just use the motorized saw when. And the uh, multifunctional. Which, which is uh, yeah, a multifunctional. The yeah. multifunctional tool is, uh, is probably what you will be most used with a chainsaw. Yeah, but you don't. Uh, when you need to use a mechanized saw, is because a um, um, motorized saw is because uh, the the branch has grown too much, like it's past the point of yep. pruning. Mm -hmm. So th that's uh, that's a very important challenge because it's not only the mechanization. So pruning, even when you're talking about uh, monocropping of trees, well, in, here in Brazil, we have a lot of monocropping of trees, uh, even for timber, like 20 years, you plant it now in a monocropping and you're just going to harvest it from 20 years from now, and you plan to have at least three or four uh, pruning process along the cycle, along this uh, 20 year cycle. Uh, one of the other challenges that we come across is um, some things might make ecological sense. Uh, you were talking about niches before, and so it might be tempting to fill in these niches with uh, certain plants that fit well in the agro ecosystem, but that do doesn't always uh, fit the needs of the markets. Uh, whether it's the local market on more small-scale projects or the commodity market if you're uh, working on large-scale projects. So I'm wondering how you accommodate uh, that tension sometimes between what makes sense to design in ecologically and how you can actually sell that diversity afterwards. Um, well, I I believe the main the main thing is the uh, is to educate the consumer. Uh, the storytelling is a very important uh, part of the whole process. And that's what we are doing uh, here right now together. Uh, you guys, I mean, you, Etienne and Dimitri, and with uh, Spreta Terra and with you, all other people that you have interviewed so far. That's our mission all together. Because definitely we know that you have to do something for the environment. We have to change the way you do agriculture and monoculture mainly uh, around the world. So... Maybe you are just starting and grasping the very beginning of it, but it will be mainstream. Uh, and we hope, we hope it will be mainstream as soon as possible. And together with this, we know that you are producing real food, um, food that are nutrient-dense and that has all the uh, benefits of, of being real food instead of uh, ultra, super, mega processed uh, stuff from the industry. And so we embrace this, we defend this, but we have to show this as well. We have to go to the consumer, we have to tell people that that what we are doing is the right to do for the environment and for us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main, the main thing here. We have to have a storytelling. You have to tell why you are doing agroforestry. We love the planet, but you have, we love to be real human beings and eat like humans. I think that's the main purpose we have. Yeah. Like, And that's why you do agroforestry, because you like to eat. Uh, well, I think that the most important challenge that farmers uh, come across is the commercialization, is to sell their products. And especially today that, well, the farmers, they are the, the weak part of the chain, right? The the most explored vulnerable. and vulnerable part of the chain. And if, especially if you only have one product, you are 
uh, you only rely on one market. And this is very uh, dangerous for him. It's, it has a huge uh, risk uh, related to it. So to diversify, for one hand, it's harder, of course, because you need to know much more about many other uh, species and you need to access many other markets. But on the other hand, you're much more safe. You're much more secure because if you have only, for instance, uh, soybeans to sell and you have a super crash in the market, it lowers the price suddenly. So while you thought you were going to sell, it, uh, it costs nothing anymore. It's not worth it for you. So you just go bankrupt from one year to the other. And on the other side, if you have, of course, there's no problem. You can sell commodity by commodity prices. You can have them, but you could also have diversified production that you sell locally. You sell to your neighbors, you sell in, in a street fair or you sell um, for a regional supermarket. You sell for a regional cooperative. So you need to find Uh, in different scales, in different spheres, what are the markets that you can access? So if you have a global crisis, you still have the local communities buying your product. So you're not going to die of hunger at least, you know? So this is the resilience. And and I, I understand it's hard to access these markets, but it's much more safe for the farmers. And that's what mm. we're looking for to give safety for the farmers, to make, to make them understand that diversity is their resilience, especially their economical resilience. And I think this is the most important strategy to access markets in different uh, scales, in the local scale, in the regional scale, in the national scale, uh, in the uh, international scale, and working with other farmers in the region Uh, trying to make a huge bulk of production to sell it for a better price. And farmers need to organize, of course. They don't, they, especially if you are a small holder or a medium holder farmer, you, uh, you don't have a, a power, bargaining power, the market. But if you get together, you'll be able to dictate the price much more than if you're alone, if you're by yourself. So this is also a movement that is very important farmers' organization so that they can understand that they can be a strong and powerful uh, uh, part of the chain, not only the weakest and the most explored part. And I think that's, that, that's also the focus of our job, of our yeah. work, to, uh, to give power to farmers, to encourage them, to make them understand how powerful they are if they organize, if they plan ahead, and if they diversify and get more resilient. Yeah. Well, that's um, um, there's a lot to dig into there, and uh, we'll have to do it on another episode or at another time. But um, um, definitely some very interesting strategies there for farmers to think about. And um, we've also, you know, this is something that's coming up as a, as a theme as well in our interviews about um, selling locally and, and this type, the resilience that it brings about, mm -hmm. uh, stepping out of the commodity markets, um, which is, as you said, not always easy for, for all farmers to do, uh, especially when they're already in this system and they have to transition out of it. Mm -hmm. So um, 
that's really great. And um, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your uh, amazing story and uh, work. And good luck with um, with uh, your projects as well in both the Amazon and in um, Pasto Vivo and uh, closer to home in mm -hmm. Sao Paulo State. Perfect, guys. Thank yeah. you so much. I think we have a lot to share. Uh, I hope that you guys understood a little bit more. Uh, if you have any yeah. doubt, just please, anybody that is listening, just send us a message. Uh, get into our website, uh, our email, our Instagram. We are super available. We really want to be close to farmers and to spread the logics and the knowledge of agroforestry to everybody. Yeah, if you want to know more about what we do, uh, we have a YouTube channel and an Instagram channel. There is an English version of it. It's called Instagram. It's called uh, um, uh, Preta Terra uh, dot uh, Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, um, this is uh, our English version uh, to speak to the world. But uh, there is also a lot of uh, subtitled videos in the in our mm -hmm. YouTube channel. And if you uh, want to know about uh, opportunities uh, for working with us, uh, there there is our LinkedIn. It's everything Preta Terra, uh, as you. Okay, perfect. Yeah. We'll link everything um, in in the show notes for anybody who's hearing this and who wants to get involved. I also saw that you were um, offering. Um, you're offering uh, positions, you were looking for people to hire. Um, is that still up and running? Yes, yes pretty much. It mm -hmm. is. Okay, nice. Cool. Yeah, and we. that's just to finish up. That's a very important um, strength for us. We need people. We need good people to work with us. And we are really looking forward to find and gather this great team because uh, we have so much work to do. We have so much, so many amazing projects, so many farmers willing to change their production system. So we need people to work with agroforestry. Perfect. So if any listeners are good people and have knowledge in uh, in uh, agroforestry, please um, um, go ahead and, and get in touch with Preta Teja so that um, you can discover about their work opportunities and in general um, their their work and their adventure. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. As always, all the links are below. You can find out more about us on our website and don't hesitate to get in touch with us on our website or through our email address. See you next time.